Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And today we are so excited for this podcast, and we have a super special guest. Um, Dr. Rodney Gobble was one of our professors at the University of Toledo. He was the director of the speech-language pathology program when we were there, and he also worked very closely with the Northwest Ohio Stuttering Clinic. Claire and I both had the opportunity to work for the Northwest Ohio Stuttering Clinic when we were in graduate school as one of our internship experiences, and we also supervised graduate students that were in the same program once we had graduated. So this topic is very near and dear to us. Dr. Gobble now works at the State University of New York as the founding director of the new speech-language pathology program there. Dr. Gobble has more than 20 years of experience working with people who stutter of all ages, as well as teaching and conducting research. He also serves on the board of directors for the International Stuttering Association on behalf of the National, National Stuttering Association. Dr. Gobble brings a very unique perspective to stuttering therapy as he himself stutters. So before we get Dr. Gobble on here to share his experiences, we wanted to just give you a little background for those that may not be as familiar with stuttering. So the American Speech and Hearing Association, or ASHA, defines stuttering as disfluencies in speech, as well as tension and negative feelings about one's stuttering. So I think it's really important to understand the differences in normal disfluencies that occur in our speech and how that's very different from stuttering disfluencies that occur in a person who stutters. So these normal disfluencies include hesitations. So things in your speech such as um, uh, like, just can't find the right words to say at that moment, um, possibly repeating the word or phrase you're saying as you're saying it. So those are all normal disfluencies and these happen to everyone at some point. And they're usually not really a cause for concern, and you probably won't even really notice it. So stuttering disfluencies, though, are characterized by part word repetition. So this is where a part of the word is repeated. Prolongations, where a sound in that word is held out for a long time. So if you say something like pizza, just because that's the word, first word that came to my mind, <laughs> yeah. that's what that would sound like. And then blocks which is difficulty getting the sound or word out. So that's almost like a really long pause where nothing is coming out. We're not able to get that word or sound started. So these types of disfluencies cause that feeling of just being stuck or being out of control with your words, which is where speaking becomes extremely difficult. So stuttering individuals across their life, I'm sorry, stuttering individuals can really be across the lifespan, children and adults. And today with Dr. Gobble, we'll take a look at what both of that looks like, again, in both children and adults. 
And we'll also look at some of the intervention and support that we can provide to those people who stutter. So really just some quick tidbits. Uh, there's roughly 3 million Americans who stutter. Stuttering affects people of all ages, as I said before, and it occurs most often in children between the ages of two and six, as this is when they're developing their language skills, so when they're in those early years of development. Approximately five to 10% of all children will stutter for some period in their life, lasting from a few weeks to several years. So that's just, again, in their development stages of language. I also think it's really important to highlight the fact that ASHA includes the portion that said as well as tension and negative feelings about one stuttering. So if you're listening to this and you're just now learning about stuttering, I want you to picture an iceberg. The tiny part sticking out at the top is really only the surface level portion of stuttering. Those are the disfluencies that Claire was talking about, repeating words, parts of words, getting stuck, feeling blocked. Now I want you to picture the portion of the iceberg that's underwater. It's huge, way bigger than the top portion. And this is the portion of stuttering that deals with one's feelings and emotions tied to stuttering. Maybe an individual that stutters is withdrawn from conversations. Maybe they're so scared to attend in-person college classes for fear of stuttering that they opt for online classes only. Maybe it's impacted their choice in employment. They steer away from jobs that require a lot of verbal communication and interacting with others and pick something that they aren't as passionate about. This is the portion of the iceberg and stuttering that is the most impactful. And the large part of the iceberg, without addressing that portion, targeting the disfluencies only, you aren't going to have as successful as results as you may hoped for. So I know many SLPs that Rachel and I have both worked with kind of dread working with stuttering, and it's just because they don't know how to approach it, they haven't been exposed to it, um, they haven't had success with it in the past, and so they just feel kind of stuck in that process. So if you're one of those people listening, I really want you to take in everything that we're saying and that Dr. Gobble has to say here and try some of the things maybe that we talk about because maybe it's something that you haven't tried. Um, and then also reach out to us if you have any um, issues or questions because that's what we're here for. We'd love to work with you and help you become more comfortable with stuttering therapy and working with those individuals. So without further ado, we would love to hear from Dr. Gobble a little bit about his background and being someone that stutters working with that population. Great, Al, I'd like to thank you both for um, asking me. I'm a big fan and I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Um, this sounds like a really great endeavor. So about me, I grew up in a small town in Ohio and I stuttered since I was about three and a half. So pretty much as soon as I really started talking a lot, I started stuttering. And so went through a public school system there and quite honestly my mom and i have talked about this we don't even know if the people who were charged with helping me were speech language pathologists we think maybe by the time well certainly by junior high um i had a really good speech pathologist she was brand new to the field um had had some good training at bowling green actually because i grew up very close to bowling green and toledo um both uh and so um so I didn't really get a lot of good speech therapy. So I think I'm very, so things haven't changed much because I think a lot of times what parents and kids perceive as bad speech therapy are therapists who are 
Yeah. And again, that led to a lot of, um, you know, on my part, my family's part, a lot of misunderstanding about what to do, what to expect, what kinds of things were important. And again, the default back then, and I think it remains the default now, is work on techniques. Mm-hmm. Work on some sort of speech skills to not stutter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I think a lot of people will know, but if they don't, this will be new news. A lot of what stuttering is, is what people do not to stutter. And I know that that sounds confusing, but to um, years and years ago, this is from the advent of of speech language pathology as a formal field, which was in the 20s and 30s. Um, uh, People like Wendell Johnson, Charles Van Riper, all sort of the fathers of stuttering therapy or modern stuttering therapy, what they talked about was just that, that, you know, certainly people who stutter have a speech difference, okay? They may have some of these, and we see those real light and easy stutters in children. But what happens is, as a child develops, not only do they know internally that something's different, something's wrong, sometimes I can speak fluently, sometimes I repeat, sometimes I get stuck. So young children know this and already start to do things to not do it, okay, to not have those little glitches or breakdowns. But then everybody in their environment also gets very concerned. And certainly bullying comes into play, but really it's not so much the bullying, it's the concern that everyone shows and then the effort that everyone puts in to either suggest to the child how not to do it or the child themselves saying, if I do this, I won't stutter. If I don't talk, then I won't stutter and they won't notice. And so what happens is there becomes this very um, complex way that people start to deal with this uh, this behavior pattern, this um, way of functioning that is actually not that far off from being normal. And really, if it's this state as sort of this little breakdown, people would generally kind of deal, you know, they'd kind of cope with their their son or daughter doing that. But everyone gets really worked up and we don't want our kids to do this, which is totally healthy and normal. We want things to be perfect for our children, and we don't want kids to have to go through all these things. But mm-hmm. what happens is it becomes a super complex, super difficult problem. And then you have a speech-language pathologist who maybe, maybe, and again, like this is still not getting any better, maybe has had one course, and we don't know how that course was taught. You know, it, I really know that some of the experts in stuttering that I took courses from or heard lectures done by over the years are not stellar teachers. They are stellar researchers, stellar clinicians, but maybe mm-hmm. they're just not very good at teaching. So you have a group of students going through who have probably had their worst class with stuttering. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was their best class and it was outstanding, but maybe they don't have clinical experience. And so they continue this idea of like, well, I guess like with our tick problems, phonological problems, we work on it, we work on it, we work on, on it, and the child doesn't do it anymore. So that's how stuttering ought to be. That's, that's a it? huge part. And it's. I feel like it's so difficult for, you know, I come from a school background, so even teachers have such mm-hmm. a difficult time understanding that mm-hmm. it's not like a cure-all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's working on managing it and working on the child being comfortable with it and Mm -hmm. being able to communicate their wants and needs and what they need to effectively. And I, I agree. I feel like people see it completely differently. And I've unfortunately even taken over kids um, from other speech therapists where their goals 
are literally will become fluent in this setting. And, you know, like you said, it, it's not about that. It's not about them being a hundred percent fluent. It's a management system. It's them feeling in control of their speech. Mm-hmm. It's so many more things than them being a hundred percent fluent because why should yeah. that even matter? Yeah. Um, that's the number one thing. Cause it, as you guys know, I give talks all over. Well, there, like I always try to stay local. I don't like traveling all that much. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I always try to stay in Ohio and Michigan and sometimes maybe like Indiana when I was still in Ohio. And I mean, that was the number one thing that I think blew everyone's mind in the room was, oh, that's how you write a goal? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's not measurable. I'm like, it's certainly measurable. It's just not uh, measurable in the way you're used to. And you've got to change that idea that, A, you ought to help that child be a, be a certain percentage of fluent, but Right. Also, you've got to give that up because mm-hmm. that's not going to always work and it's not going to be good. And it's certainly not a good message because what we do in therapy oftentimes is help people undo past therapy where the techniques have contributed to the stuttering getting more severe. Mm-hmm. And it is just such a, so all that plus the lack of maybe the amount of clinical experience and education plus the wrong goals, Mm -hmm. plus the client not meeting the goals ever. So it becomes your least favorite thing to work with because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're not helping somebody. And so all these things are perfectly understandable. I know other people in my position might start to trash speech pathologists for not knowing them much. I don't think that's fair. I think Mm -hmm. what it is, is there's, sorry, I hit my microphone. Certainly there's (laughs) gotta be a different way that people conceptualize what they're doing. And something I've always, and this was somewhat based on my own experiences as a kid, but also just in sort of problem solving the situation and reading some things outside of stuttering to help me understand this. School systems and kids at a certain age. So I know Claire, you've done a a lot of outpatients. So even Mm -hmm. kids that you're helping on an outpatient basis, we can't look at, okay, we got to get them to a certain level so they can achieve this. I think that goes out the window. And the other thing is actually start to see stuttering as something that's fairly normal, Mm -hmm. that there's tons of choices that people can do to handle it. You know, we tend to work with people who are struggling, right? So the idea is the person wants to get help, but we also have to give them the sense that, you know, our timeline here, if it's a child, you got day one of school, you got summer vacation, because summer vacation is sort of fine. Go talk the way you want to, no one's gonna care, right? right. For the most part, mm-hmm. unless you wanna keep working on it. But really, mm-hmm. school year, what are the things the child has to accomplish? What support can be provided? Some of that may be traditional speech therapy, some of it may be more counseling based and just listening. Mm-hmm. And some of it may be working with the child to help the environment be better. You know, yes. Rachel brought up teachers, but I think teachers, ought to be like willing to learn. And I think in my Mm -hmm. experience, most are, some aren't as much, but the idea is how do you help the child feel more comfortable in the classroom? How do you help the child understand what stuttering is so the child can be realistic? A lot of kids are pretty fine hearing that they're still gonna, you know, Mm -hmm. talk a little bit differently. They just don't wanna get stuck. And so Mm -hmm. you can help them or they don't wanna be embarrassed. They don't wanna be picked on. They don't want to give speeches when they're not comfortable. And I think those kinds of things are 
totally within play and goals mm -hmm. can be written related to that. IEPs can be done and, mm -hmm. and therapists can be terribly successful in supporting kids. Okay, you might not get rid of stuttering, but I don't think you should, it's not curable. You, and can't, I think, say, you can't say yeah. it's not curable, which our field says, and then have therapy be directed at curing it. Because exactly. if you get somebody to 0% stutter, that's a cure, and that's stupid. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's such a good point too, to, for therapists to start kind of in the classroom, especially if you're a school therapist. So what are some things that we can work on in therapy? We can work on book reports. We can work on authentic conversations with their peers. Yeah. We can do all of these things to practice speech in a safe environment so that they begin to feel more comfortable with their yeah. speech. Yeah. And the other thing is Claire, um, you mentioned, you know, goals that address uh, stuttering in certain um, scenarios or settings. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Right. Gobble, you mentioned like 0% fluency. Even if you do meet those measures, they're mm -hmm. not accurate, right? Because right. you're a familiar right. listener, you're a comfortable mm -hmm. person to them, you're doing right. things they like, you're playing games, mm -hmm. and you're going to put them in a uncomfortable situation like a confrontation they had with a student and now they have to talk to the principal mm -hmm. and now we're anxious and we're right back to where we started so really did is that goal helping anything right That's definitely right. you know well, well one of the biggest things um, that well i shouldn't say that because i'm going to say one of the biggest things but a major question i get is you know it's so frustrating because the kid can do the techniques in the therapy room and they just sound so fluent and they do so great. And right. then when I'm walking them back to the classroom, it really breaks down. And mm -hmm. why is that? And I'm like, well, that's kind of understandable. I said, let's break it down and I'll walk it backwards. It's like very safe environment, one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. They know what they can do. It's, you know, doing any sort of active speech change for an adult, child, anybody takes a high level of cognitive, emotional control. And then you're going down the hallway and they probably have a lot to tell you. Walking and talking mm -hmm. is harder for everybody. Um, and then also, you know, you're going back to the classroom and you're in a natural environment. You know what? They don't want to work on these techniques. Right. I mean, it's yeah. not enjoyable. It's not something they want to do. And so, yeah, like I always kind of started with, you know, what kinds of things would you like? and what kinds of things would be the most helpful and talking to parents and children that way. And then also giving information about stuttering, because I think once a child understands what's going on, you know, they may not always, you know, internalize it and remember it and maybe frustrating to say, well, we talked about what causes stuttering last week. Why don't you remember it? Well, they do. They just don't know how to put it into words. Right. And so, but those kinds of things are helpful. And it's sort of the idea of that's sort of a lifelong change that you plant these kinds of concepts and ideas and helping the child think about acceptance. That this is just sort of, you know, something about me. This is something I can choose to do something about. It's something I can talk about. It's something I can make sure people understand. Uh -oh. And yeah, it's hard. It's going to be hard for them. But I think you can make changes as a speech pathologist in the schools specifically, or even as a speech pathologist in general. Mm -hmm. If you think about what real, real piece of time is the most critical. Mm -hmm. okay, because just working on techniques in a therapy room may lead to a huge breakthrough someday, but right. really what it's going to do is it's not going to have so much of an impact, you know, right. um, versus, okay, well, you have a speech coming up. So let's talk about what do people do when they're good public speakers? How can you, you know, mm -hmm. like I have a young man, I 
when I was still running my practice in Toledo. For a couple of years, both years, we spent a good part of the months of, I think, eight, uh, March um, and, and into April working on how can you alleviate, because he said stress was the, was the thing he was worried about with, with public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so what's the best way to handle stress? And we talked about it. We did some searches online. And it came down to preparing the speech early. So you're not waiting to the last minute. So you mm-hmm. can allow time to think about it and to practice it and doing research. And so we spent a lot of speech therapy doing that, but then also talking about talking, like what's mm-hmm. the best, because he had goals related to not producing a lot of tension when he spoke and uh, reducing certain um, certain issues or certain secondary behaviors. And so we did that the whole time we were talking, but we used speech time as a time to work on this presentation because like this was what was important. And he ended up feeling very comfortable about it because the speech was done early. Mm -hmm. He got to think about what was gonna happen. It was one of those like living wax museums about a famous person. So we even Mm -hmm. practiced that in the room. He talked me through exactly what the room was gonna look like. And he he ended up, it was an afterthought. When he came back at the week after it was over, I said, so what happened? He goes, what? It, it was just another week. And I said, well, how'd your presentation go? He goes, oh, yeah, that was great. Here's what That's happened. Awesome. But it was just not stressful because mm-hmm. it went okay. You know, yeah. he did okay. And so I, I think those are the kinds of things that what a great use of therapy time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so much more enjoyable. You're really supporting a kid. They're learning to accept. And it's right. going really well. And in that regard too, what a huge role counseling plays in stuttering therapy that I think is a lot of times missed maybe in some old school therapists or therapists that just might not know how to work with those that stutter is that counseling piece of it. And honestly, I don't know why that's not part of graduate programs or maybe it is in some regards, but I know it wasn't for ours. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you learn it as you go along, but just to have that that would right. have been so beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like I've always been a big proponent of that. At Bowling, when I was at Bowling Green, I taught that course. And mm-hmm. when I was at Stevens Point, we didn't have it. Penn State, I believe they did have it. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, Toledo, we just weren't able to fit it, it into the curriculum. But like, I think you're both aware of my last couple of years there, I ran a special certificate for stuttering. Yes. And, mm-hmm. Like it was four courses and included the, the internship and included the summer plans that I, that I ran that you both been involved in right. and a few different ways but um I taught a counseling course and it was great the students loved it all their classmates wanted to take it I'm like I can't offer it yeah. it doesn't you know like this is a one-stop thing you know and so Absolutely. but the thing was what was so good about it was that students actually practiced it and they actually did mm-hmm. base reading and different counseling approaches instead of just being like, okay, go do this. Right. Because so many practicing clinicians who have been at it a while think that counseling is giving advice. And it's Mm -hmm. really not that at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, counseling is never about giving advice if you're doing it correctly. Okay. It's about choices, helping people think about their values and what they want, thinking about what they might be doing to themselves with their self-talk and their beliefs and that's really what it's kind of about and just being a good listener and being a good uh, you know not friend maybe you, you can be you know friends and you're, I would suppose it's going well when the clients like you I mean that's important but it's about just being a good um, 
you know, mentor, a good person right. to just be available for kids and for adults. And I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So besides the counseling aspect, then you said a couple of times techniques. So what are, what are some techniques that you use maybe with children or adults, either one um, or both that you yeah. have found really successful? Well, probably since you guys worked with me, mm -hmm. I went through a sea change a bit. And Claire, I think you experienced it the yes, last year. with your clinic. You mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't use names and techniques anymore. I just okay. think that it gets in the way. I think it gets confusing. I think it's just, and again, it's sort of this idea of you're giving people something. Right. So you gave me these techniques. I didn't give you anything. You learned to do a movement pattern that was different and that works for you. And so I've really gone that way. And again, I didn't invent it. I was thinking it this way, but I just went back to some old reading. Uh, and there's a man named Dean Williams who's at the University of Iowa in the 50s and 60s and he ran the program there and a really well-known clinician and professor and mm -hmm. this goes back to like Wendell Johnson who was his advisor and his teacher and what they talked about was you know basically people who stutter need to just get back to talking mm -hmm. and focus on what they talked about back then again it was the 50s and 60s so it would be normal speaking model which i don't really know that that's good but i like the idea of just healthy speaking how is speak produ speech produced during all the times that the person's fluent and they're not stuttering mm -hmm. how do normal speakers produce speech and basically it's based on the characteristics of speech good airflow right. and breathing not too much not too little you know mm -hmm. airflow um speaking on exhalation instead of inhalation because a lot of clients get into that pattern so it's more i'm talking instead of i mean that's not the way speech is produced, productive right, right. Mm -hmm. um and then reduce you know the, the amount of tension in the vocal folds or voicing mm -hmm. which is a very you know again you should have some tension when speaking on both sounds and then running speech but not too little not too much mm -hmm. Touches, you know, like breathy speech and so on and so forth. And then just sort of a normal amount of tension when you're making certain sounds, there's some tension involved, not too much, not too little. There's a certain rate of talking. You don't want to talk too fast. You don't want to talk too slow. You're sort of a just right rate when you're able to be more productive in speaking. And then just the amount of movement, because a lot of times people who stutter are producing too much movement. And all those can be a pullout. All those could be an easy onset. You could mm -hmm. still do that. It's just I choose not to. I like right. the idea of normal speaking model. And then you can talk about secondary behaviors and what do you do to get in the way of normal speaking? Or, yeah. or yeah. and I also like healthy speaking. Like I was just going to say, I really like that you call it healthy speaking. Me too. Versus normal speaking. Yeah. Because I think normal that's... Speaking's fluid. Yeah, and <laughs> right. I think that's you know, very helpful, both when you're addressing it with your clients and, you know, when you're learning more about it also. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So one of our questions actually from a listener 
was what if my child doesn't even notice his or her stuttering, but they're bringing them to speech therapy. And I have had a lot of little ones that um, even between the ages as early as three and four, that their parents bring them to speech therapy because they just started stuttering and the parents Mm -hmm. are a little more anxious about it than the child is and the child doesn't even notice. So what would you say to the parents? Kind of how would you approach that? a few things. First off, that's when you really have to go through a detailed fluency analysis, mm-hmm. um, deep analysis of the case history. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, that is like a whole series of podcasts. I mean, so we were mm-hmm. looking really into that, but really right. do the great detailed analysis because you can differentiate mm-hmm. pretty easily, actually, a person or child who's starting to stutter and showing behaviors indicative of, of persisting to stutter as young as two, three, mm-hmm. three years old, it can be done. But then a lot of the workmen, um, you know, just like, again, it's not that different. Like you work with a child with a developmental language problem, you can work with the parents to set up a really good home environment. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's three really good programs to read into. There's the LITCOM program, which I mm-hmm. think is actually way more helpful than even the developers think. And again, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that because a good segment of the field, the people I tend to hang with would find that would be very uncomfortable me saying mm-hmm. that. But it's a program, works for some families, doesn't work well for others. And it works for reasons they don't get. Done meaning the people who developed it. Yeah. Um, they think it's very operant conditioning, and it's not. Humans don't operate as it's like operant beings. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Perhaps right. for smoking sensation, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other fit one is just sort of the demands and capacities holistic therapy program, which offers lots of really good avenues for mm-hmm. how clinicians can help families and like mm-hmm. help kids who stutter. And then the third is the Palin, uh, Palin Parent Child, it's PCI, Parent Child Interaction Therapy. And it's actually came from sort of a solution-focused brief therapy mindset where what they do is they sit with parents and they will watch videos of the parent and the child like interacting and, and how the parents are talking with their child at home and say, okay, so when your child was doing well, with their speech. When your child was fluent, what was working? Mm-hmm. What was the child doing? What were you doing? So it really gets into this idea of empowering the parent to make the changes on their own. Yes. And where the multifaceted um, demands of capacity sort of helps parents or gives parents like lists of things to do and things not to do and then helps them in that way. And then mm-hmm. both, and then I guess both those therapy programs if you're going to work on speech you've got to put that get the kind of speech changes that healthy speech pattern you've got to put that into your own speech as you're interacting with a child but then also you know I find a lot of kids are very receptive to hear you talk about being disfluent or stuttering Mm -hmm. and so I always suggest to you know Therapists who happen to stutter as well or have a history of stuttering can certainly have a leg up in this way because you can put mm-hmm. your own stuttering back into your speech pattern Absolutely. or start to stutter on purpose in the old mm-hmm. way that you might have stuttered. But then also clinicians who don't stutter, you're not hurting somebody by pretending to stutter. It's a good learning mm-hmm. experience. 
children will love to hear adults talk about the Lord's Supper. And so it right. can be really, really helpful kind of set the stage, you know, mm -hmm. and, but certainly I think helping the parents not overreact to stuttering because their overreaction, which is always coming from a really good place, mm -hmm. can lead to more negative feelings, emotions, and those kinds of Definitely. things. So I think a lot of it, there are some good guidelines that if folks can do some like extra studying on their own, there's some great things you can do. If the child's not stuttering, you sort of I feel like it's good to still keep in touch with those families because they still yes. have the concerns. So I tend to yes. schedule like a four or five like session block and then I mm -hmm. just follow them and sometimes spread those over you know, like two weeks in between. So it's mm -hmm. bi-monthly. A lot of it is just chatting with the parents and talking yes. with them. That and parent helping coaching them piece is yes. so important, especially yeah. when they're so little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just helping the parents not be afraid. Yes, know, definitely. I think that's really important. And I've, I've had a, a few actually that have come to me that I've done, you know, fluency evaluation on and they just didn't stutter throughout the entire evaluation. Our evaluations were only an hour. So, um, uh, pretty typical, but they didn't stutter once throughout the entire evaluation. I saw them a couple times and they still just didn't stutter in front of me. And so pretty much I, I did, I did that. I kept in contact with the family. I brought them in maybe monthly, mostly yeah. just for discussing with the parent things that they could do at home strategies. Yeah. They could start to kind of use, um, because it wasn't happening in the speech sessions. And I know that. Yeah. That and I know happen. I, I can say this cause, um, I'm a new parent that like overreacts about everything. Right. Like I see a tiny right. little red bump and I'm like, Oh my gosh, he has a rash. And really he doesn't. So for parents that hear something that's atypical or something that's right, you know, not quote unquote normal. Right. Um, I can see how they, you know, are, they have mm -hmm. their alarms up and they're worried and I can see mm -hmm. how they would, you know, oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, kind of a funny story I think before I closed my practice last month I had two clients that for the kids I would have just discharged them six months ago because mm -hmm. the child had either gotten everything they were going to get from me or were like operating at such a high level that right. it was like literally them coming in and saying hey here's some cool stuff I brought from home yeah but stuttering a little bit but the kids didn't care they were but they just, didn't notice like, yeah mm -hmm. they had one and they noticed even they were like eight, nine, ten. They had like, mm -hmm. but the parents were like, we can't, we can't stop coming. We're so yeah. worried it's going to be bad again. We're so worried. And I right. said, well, you can keep coming, but it's only going to be once a month. Because right. Yeah. It, it's just not appropriate. He's doing so well. But I said, I want to be here. For you. So yeah. And I feel like children are so resilient. They're yeah. way more resilient than we give them credit for. Yeah. for sure. Well, and once we give them the sense that what they're doing is okay mm -hmm. and that there's answers to it, most are going to do really well. Some are still going to struggle because it just bothers them. Right. And that's okay too. And some kids will need consistent ongoing therapy, mm -hmm. but some are going to just be like, you know what? I stutter. I'm mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. I can handle it. And then guess what? The stuttering really gets reduced because they don't feel like they have to do so much. Right. Well, and kind of going off of that, what would you say to, because I have had some families say that the stuttering kind of comes and goes. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's really bad during the school year, but not at all during the summer, or it's really bad during Christmas time, but then that's it. And um, I feel like that situational stuttering is mm -hmm. definitely something in a lot of kids and young adults yeah. well, that I've worked with. What I usually tell people is, you know, that's just stuttering. I mean, mm -hmm. 
right. stuttering is situational. Stuttering is, um, I've only met a couple people that I would say um, stuttered 100% of the time. I mean, right. in my career, and like, I'm not going to estimate how many people I've seen. It would probably be a gross under or like overestimate. But just in general, I mean, people come from um, all different places. They handle their stuttering differently. They right. have a different life. So I just take it very like individually. So there is sort of mm -hmm. that global thing of like, well, stuttering situational. Right. And because of stresses of school or whatever, it could be more during school. In summer, it's laid back, it's relaxed. The kid might not be talking that much at all because they're right. pl playing video games or they have camps where they're doing things they like to do. Right. It's a big deal. So it's just but, not happening, yeah. Yeah, but I do think too is it's like you look for those individual patterns because mm -hmm. what we know about individual patterns and stuttering and all kinds of human behavior or conditions, because stuttering is physiological, Mm -hmm. is that those patterns are going to repeat, right? right? And I, I, like I tell parents that it's like, let's figure out, let's figure out best solutions for those patterns because right. it's going to repeat and maybe next time it won't be as surprising, which means right. we'll be able to put something into play that's going to be helpful. Or right. we can all reassure each other because this happened in November, this happened in March. And I think that's okay because that's, you know, like I think about someone who has a hard time like driving on ice. They're never going to like driving on ice. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous to even suggest to somebody that here's how you start to drive comfortably on ice. What you do is you learn to deal with it. And you know, mm -hmm. you know, we all have different ways of dealing with that. And I think to know that guess what? You know, we may not have as much ice year to year but we're probably going to be, have some bad driving days mm -hmm. and you're going to have some decisions to make, you know, and if you have to drive on those days, you're going to have to decide how you want to handle it and you're going to have to be ready for it. And hopefully mm -hmm. it won't be as impactful as it was the first time you did it and it really scared you or at the time you did go off the road or the time you just really like had to do it and the weather was particularly bad. Mm -hmm. And so the point is, I think that's how stuttering is. It's like, look, when your child has a hard time again, we can be more ready, right? Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. Yeah. I love that analogy. So well said. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it just is. It's real commonsensical. I think mm -hmm. we do make things too hard sometimes in our professions because we yeah. think that there's a right way to do it. And there is because... And we're very data driven. So it's yeah. that too. We're yeah. very, we need a percentage. We need something to be yes yeah. or something to be no. It's yeah. very yeah. black and, and white. And again, if we had more time, I could write goals based on that and share them. Right. It may not be what people are used to, but it can mm -hmm. be data driven. And the point is, you know, it's all about the person's individual comfort and their own right. perception of how life is going. And there's lots of just ways of making like arbitrary template scales that the clinician and client can fill out and it can be as data driven as defining what like a copy is because i'm sorry um that right. may not always be clear either <laughs> right yeah. absolutely um, so yeah. the point is like i think it can be really really uh you know a really pleasant way to do therapy a really mm -hmm. pleasant way to kind of help people just sort of be like okay we can problem solve this this isn't yeah. the worst thing that ever happened this is something yeah. that can't be done Definitely. Well, and the child can do well if they stutter or they don't. It just helps us get easier. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, we'll close out on two more questions that are pretty quick, um, don't require a ton of explanation, I don't think, but they were questions that we got on our Facebook um, posts that we posted. So we appreciate you guys that were um, asking questions so that we could kind of drive the discussion. But one of the questions, I think this comes from the King's speech, the movie, but mm -hmm. they asked, does singing really help stuttering? So what would you say to that, Dr. Gabo? I'll let um, you answer that. Well, I mean, that's a normal phenomenon. There are, mm -hmm. are like others, like talking in a fake accent or mm -hmm. other kinds of things where people just tend to have um, either, either no stuttering or greatly reduced. And singing mm -hmm. is you know, the, the, there's a really good neurological explanation for that, but it's as simple as this. Singing, it really isn't talking. Right. Okay, it's using it's different parts different. of the brain. It's yeah. using different parts of the brain. You have rhythm, you have known, known words, you know, mm -hmm. and really, like, interestingly enough, uh, you know, rapping actually has the same effect. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and there's some great like video on the like internet that oh my god, yeah, <laughs> who can rap and it's like well no, there's a really good explanation. For right, yeah. and um, acting. I've had clients yeah. that mm -hmm. are huge into theater yeah. and. Yeah. She says it's literally because she gets up there and she doesn't have one stuttering moment and it's the most confident that she feels and yeah. um, that's really cool. Um, playing a role. Um, mm -hmm. our James Earl Jones uh, is a good ex um, is a good example. Bruce yeah. Willis yeah. is another example of you know you're playing a role, therefore you're not. It's not you. And yeah, and I know there's a process there. Yeah, and I know you mentioned rapping and singing. Ed Sheeran is another one. Yep. Um, yep. And also, if you're a speech therapist and you have not seen The King's Speech, that's a must. I yes. love that movie. <laughs> it's a, we watched that in your class, Dr. Gobble. Yes. That's yes. where we watched yeah. it, I remember. Yeah. yeah, and you know, like, you know, again, it's set in a historical time period, so mm -hmm. there is not a lot of, um, well, a lot of the principles we've discussed tonight are in there. They're just yeah. in the guise of a lot of outdated things. But the parts right. about being a supportive friend and helping somebody problem solve difficult mm -hmm. situations, helping them figure out what what works for them were very inherent to everything that was going on. Yeah, especially Absolutely. the mentor piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the guide. So our last question is geared towards adults. I, I know we've spent we spent Quite a bit of time on children, but there are quite a few adults that stutter into their adulthood or possibly start stuttering in adulthood. Um, so I wanted to touch on that real quick because we did have a listener ask, um, he started stuttering in adulthood and he explained that he's been on different medications and has gone through, ke through chemotherapy um, and was asking if that could be a cause to the stuttering. Yeah. I would say there's so much we don't know about right. adult onset stuttering. Um, and over the years, I've run into people, you know, like I even worked with a young guy. Um, oh, gosh, it's been a year now. Um, but he came in and had severe migraines. Mm -hmm. And from what he could tell, the final thing was he came in and saw me like after a couple of weeks after starting a new medication, came in and started. Mm -hmm. But it was secondary to his migraines. Like he right. did it stutter before then he had a really severe onset and they had to use right. a cocktail to knock everything out and start right. over mm -hmm. and then he would start stuttering and this had happened a few times and then mm -hmm. he had gone to a different like medical practice who sort of cleared the chart and did new medications and they actually said i don't think you have migraines it's something else it went away 
So I don't know. I think it's, you know, like I would just kind of joke. It's not, I would just joke, really. I'm not that kind of doctor, but I think Mm -hmm. that there's certainly, I would guess there's a medical thing going on. And I think seeing a neurologist would be the place to start. But certainly, even if you know the cause is medical, speech therapy can still work very well. Absolutely. A lot of times the same kind of behavior patterns begin. Mm -hmm. It's just because of a known reason. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I think this is what we, all we have and we'll, um, we'll definitely touch base with you if we get any other questions after this show. Um, regarding stuttering or anything but thank you so much for being on yeah. we really appreciate it yeah so we're glad to help and i'm glad we spent some time yeah awesome. well, thank you so much all right bye-bye bye well that wraps up this episode thank you guys so much for joining us again as always you can find me on instagram at super sweet speech and if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in southeast michigan feel free to reach out to me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, so make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram, kindly underscore speech, or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in Virginia or Ohio is in need of teletherapy for speech, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And again, please give us a like and a follow. You can also now email us at let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. So just our name with gmail.com. You guys are so awesome and we appreciate you listening. Please let us know if you have any questions or feedback on the episode and we will see you next week. Yeah. See you taco Tuesday. Bye. Bye.